Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 1. We're in a series on Malachi. I'll get to that in just a minute. We're going to be looking at verse 6, and then we'll hit a few others. I'm struggling with a little cold today, so just uh, if I... St- you'll, you'll be all right. <coughs> Wait a minute. <coughs> this is going to be fun. <coughs> Quit looking at me like that. I'm trying to get straight. Now, now I'm going to go. I wanted to say happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great time. I was so excited to see the Cowboys lose again. So uh, that's, that is always a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we're, we're so, okay, that's enough, man. None from the cheap seats. And then, and then I wanted to remind you on December 13th, we're taking up a special offering for uh, that Grace Home Ministry that we're partnering with. And uh, we just want it to be a great day. Some of these girls, if it weren't for this ministry, get, quite possibly choose to abort, not have the tools, the ability to raise their kids the way they ought to. And so I'm just encouraging you. Some can give a lot. Some can give maybe a little, but everybody can bring something. And I'm asking that you'll bring your best on December 13th. And we're going to honor the Lord with that offering and help some girls in our community. Amen? Yes. And today we're in Malachi. We're on our fourth part of a seven-part series. We'll go right up to December 20th, and uh, let me just catch you up, give you some background info, and, and give you the, remember, Malachi is, Malachi means messenger, that's what his name means, he gets this burden from the Lord, the Lord has a heavy heart for his people, there's people at that time are Israel, they have a connection, they have a relationship in such, this was God's hope, that they would live with him in such a way that the world would look at him and say, I want what they got. And at that time, they're living scattered. They're, they're not honoring the Lord. Spiritually, they're in a bad place. And so God wants to address them. And, and God wants to, to really to shake them and awaken them to the things of God. And the whole context, you've got you to gotta read this book through the first verse in chapter 1 where it says, I have loved you deeply. That's God's first thing. If you don't get this, you won't get anything else. If you don't know that God loves you and want his, wants your, his best for you, if you don't... If you, if God loves you, it's not based on your past, your performance, your potential. It's based on his nature. God loves you. He, he, want, he wants every, he just wants you to succeed and, and to reach your full potential. And, and this is how Paul says it. If we don't understand this, how Paul in the New Testament. Keep your finger in Malachi, but read along with me. For this reason, Paul said, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray that you'll be full of strength and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Listen to this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, because that's what you got to know. Every, if you don't filter this through the lens of love, it's going to be rules and restrictions. It's going to be God's a kill joy and he doesn't want, want me to have fun. But if you'll read it through a lens of love, that God loves me, and if, I, if you'll be able to get rooted and established in that. And Paul said, I pray, oh, I pray that you'll have the power together with all God's people just to grasp it, just to grab hold of it. How wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you can't even figure it out in your mind. It's beyond that. It's got to go past the natural to the supernatural pass knowledge to the spiritual and when you understand the love of God then you'll be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God 
So this whole thing is in, in the context of love. That's how we got to read it. And then the book begins with, with this, this scripture. And if you, I've read this every week. And if you don't get anything else about Malachi, I want this to be really sowed in your heart. A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father, remember father means affection. I've revealed my affection for you. I love you. And master means authority. If, I, if, if I'm your father and your authority, then where is the honor and the respect I deserve? And they respond with, well, how have we dishonored you? And they, they got this kind of flippant teenage attitude, that, this kind of nonchalant. There. Well, how, how, God, how have we dishonored you? And he tells them first, we talked about this, in the way that they worship, they, they're coming to the temple just casual and complacent. They were bringing these, these sacrifices that were, that were deformed and blind and, and defiled. And, and they, they just had no regard for the things of God. And, and we do the same thing. We don't bring a sacrifice, but we bring something when we come to the house of the Lord on Sundays. We bring our focus and our attention. We bring our praise. We offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And any, listen, unspoken gratitude is ingratitude. Praise has to be verbal. So I encourage you, look, when we come together 75 minutes a week for corporate prayer and praise, let's give God our best. Let's don't come straggling in here 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes late. You wouldn't do that for a boss. You wouldn't do that for some other appointment. Give God the honor and the respect and the due and the glory due His name. Let, let's, let's come early and sit close. Not because we like the worship or love the preaching, but because we love Jesus. And, and if He's our Father and our Master, then we're going to honor and respect Him. The second week, it was about spiritual leaders. This was last week, so I guess that's the third week. And we talked about you have spiritual influence. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Maybe it's not a pulpit, but you might have kids sitting around your table. Or you might have you, people you work with. You have influence. And if you're going to be a spiritual influencer worth following, you're going to have to have conviction and clarity. And, and I want you to go back and, 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 re, and listen to that if you weren't here last week. Or even if you were here last week, review it. A great word for those who want to have an impact and an influence. This morning, again, the question is, how have we dishonored you with your worship, with, your, with your, your, your leading people astray, the priests were? And here's this morning, Malachi 1.12. But you dishonor my name. God's just answering their question. But you dishonor my name with your actions. You're giving me a lot of lip service. But God, we're going to the temple. God, we're bringing a sacrifice. I know it's not acceptable and it's shoddy. And I know that, that it's really not worthy of a holy God. But at least we're coming. You dishonor my, your name with my actions. Verse 13. You say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. His commands are too burdensome. I mean, I mean, it's just too much of a struggle. And later on in the book, where one of the questions they ask, God, where is the God of justice? Because in their eyes, the unrighteous were being blessed more than they were. And so, and they were saying, well, why don't we just live unrighteous? Because they're getting and they're receiving and they're, they're prospering and they're being blessed. And all we are is we're just struggling out here trying to obey the Lord. It's too hard to obey you, God. And they turn up their noses at his commands. Again, just that whatever, God. It's just too hard. Here's what he says. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Malachi 2, 8, 9. You have left God's past. Here's his, here's his rebuke against them. God has a path for you. He wants you to go down. You know, narrow is the road that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. 
You've left my path. You've got off course. You've got off chart. Your guidance, you've come alongside others and you're really hurting my cause because you're not living what you're saying. You're, you're, it's caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made. You've made light of sin and haven't dealt with sin and, and renamed sin. For you, and here's the for you have not obeyed me. But how have we dishonored you, Lord? Well, I told you with your lack of reverence with your sacrifices, you haven't lived godly and spiritual influence, and you're just you just don't obey the word of the Lord. You have you have no regard, no fear, no no desire to follow and obey me. It's just it's all lip service. That's what that's what Malachi said. Again, let's go to the New Testament. What did John say? Same idea, just different passage. I want you, this might be one of the most important messages I'll ever preach. Because America has, we have so watered down what it means to be a Christian. And to be a Christian in America means you fill out a card or you say some prayer. And then you can go live however you want to live. And that is so contrary to the Word of God. And listen, again, you got to hear this thing in the lens of love. If you don't, if you don't, if you, if you hear this out of God, it's just to kill joy, you will reject it. But if you'll hear it in the sense that I'm for you, not against you, that I have a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, that I want you to experience peace and peace, uh, undescribable peace, and I want you to know joy unspeakable, and I want all this for you, then you'll reject. You know what happened to Eve? She, she filtered it through the, the lens of God just once. He's a killjoy. And the only reason he doesn't want me to have that apple because it tastes so good and because I'll be like him and the enemy tricked her. And so she took that apple and, and it just sent everything into chaos. I'm telling you, receive it through the lens of love. And here's what John says. How can we be sure we belong to him? How do I know if I'm a believer? How do I know if I'm a Christian? Well, he'll answer it by obeying his commandments. If someone says, I belong to God, I filled out a card... I said a prayer. My grandmother took me to church when she was young. She, I'm a believer. I think God's there, but doesn't obey God's commandments. That person is a liar and does not live in the truth. But those who obey God's word really do love him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in him. You want to know if you're a believer, do you obey God's word? I'm not, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a, really a process. But there has to be a desire, a longing, a want to. God, I must obey God rather than man. That's your heart if you're a believer. That's your desire. You're, you're waking up in the morning going, with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for God. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do what He tells me to do. Say what He tells me to say. Live how He wants me to live. That's a true believer. That's what John said. We talked about what Malachi said. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? I'm a believer. I'm a follower. I, I know Jesus. And you don't do what I say. That. That doesn't even make sense. Jesus is so, he almost seems surprised that people are calling him Lord and not doing what he says. You go to Matthew's gospel in Matthew 7, and, and, and people are surprised. Listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, again, it's not what you say, it's what you do. It's not what you fill out, it's what your life is like. It, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and, 
in your name drive out demons and perform miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you because you, you, you didn't follow me. You didn't obey me. You didn't honor me away from me. You, you evildoer. This, this whole issue, maybe that's why. Because we don't understand this and we don't preach this and we don't talk about this. Maybe that's why there's 50 million people in America who profess Jesus is to be their Lord. But somehow there's a lack of salt and light and, more, and morally our nation continues to plummet. If there were more, and I'm not talking to the world, I'm talking to the church. If there were more people that lived what they taught, if there were more people that followed the word of God, if there were more people, we wouldn't be in the place that we're in today. Maybe that's why men and women can stand up and proclaim they are God-fearing Christians and then try to legalize abortion or proclaim that to teach abstinence in school is unrealistic. So let's just pass out condoms. Maybe that's why Christianity in America, you can quote Jesus on your Facebook one day and Buddha the next. Maybe that's why people enter through the doors of the church and they say it with their mouths, but when they leave, their lives are no different. They act no different. They talk no different. They, they don't, they're, now, they're not different than, than the world. The, the principles and philosophies of this world are controlling them and consuming them, and they're living them out. And God says, look, some of you think you, you're okay with me, and some of you think because you've said this word, this prayer, or, or wrote down on some car that everything's going to be okay. But, but I'm telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say depart from me because there's, there's no obedience in your life. If there's no obedience, the truth's not in you, and you don't really love me. Here's what it goes on. Matthew 7, 24. Just stay with me, will you? Don't, don't check me out, and don't say God's a mean God, because God wants the best for you. I mean, he wants the best for you. And so we're going we're gonna to wrap this up, but hear me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... Remember, James said, just don't be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Put him in the practice. He's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The foundation of the house, the foundation of the building is the, always the most important. The foundation of your life is the most important. And it's got to be built on obedience. That's the foundation. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the wise man built on. And when the rain came and the streams rose and the wind blew... And beat against that house when challenges and difficulties and struggles and issues came. You know what happens to the man who builds his house on the foundation of obedience? It does not fall. Because it's had its foundation on the rock. But on the flip side, whoever one hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And that, all that is is a lack of obedience to God's word. I know what I should do, but, but I'm just not going to do it. And so the rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a crash. See, God wants you to, he wants you to stand. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be prosperous. And so therefore, we've got to build our lives on the foundation of God's word and be willing to obey him regardless of what it might cost or appear or happen. And, and, and he, here's, here, here's what I hear so much, you know, and, and I just use these illustrations because this is what I hear the most. Pastor, our marriage is just really struggling, and if we're not, if something doesn't change, we're going to end up divorced. Help us. What can we do? Well, hey, why don't you start with this? Start praying together. No, we're not going to pray together. What are you talking about? She might think, she, I just don't even know what to say, and, and, and she knows that I just don't want to pray. Well, why don't you consider her first? Just really yield, submit, just, just submit, just yield. Well, 
Well, no, she's inconsiderate and, and aggravated and spiteful. And, and if I do that, she'll just take advantage of me. Well, choose to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. You don't know what she's done to me. But the Bible says if you don't give it, you can't get it. What? Well, she don't deserve it. I'm not giving it. Why don't you date? Why don't just go on a date, spend some time together. Well, we don't have the money and what's going to happen to the, who's going to take care of the kids and what we're going to do. And I'm just telling you, if that's what you're coming to me with, I can't help you. I'm not mean. I'm not, I'm just saying if you're not going to build your marriage on the foundation of God's word, if you're not going to use his principles as a solid foundation, I can't help you. You're like the foolish man who built your house upon the sand. There are some things in God's word that you must build on. And when the struggles come, because they will come. And when the challenges come, they will come. And when the feelings aren't there, and that will happen, then you'll be able to stand firm. Because it's built on the rock of God's word. Pastor, my finances are in shambles. You got to help me. Tell me what to do. Are you tithing? Can't, I can't afford to tithe kidding me that's what tithe are you living on a budget well, we tried that it's just too hard it's too hard to do i mean we it didn't work anyway are you living within your means no i'm an american christian nobody lives in their means then did i can't help you if you're not willing to, to be a steward of the money that God has blessed you with, if you're not willing to honor him and, and, and build your foundation on the truth of his word, then, then you're like the foolish man. Pastor, my kid, they're just, I'm worried for them. They're drifting. They're not, they're not serving the Lord. They're not, they're not going after God. Well, why don't you get them in church? Well, they, they just don't like coming to church. I'm not talking about a 25-year-old kid. I'm talking about a 16-year-old boy that lives in your house that's dictating to you he's telling you what he's going to do and where he's going to go come on somebody help me they we, we don't that's unnecessary until that boy starts paying the rent you are still in charge you are still in control why 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 don't why don't well if i make him come to church he might get mad and get turned off he might but he might get in the presence of the lord and the lord might soften his heart and the holy spirit might draw him to jesus and he might come to know god as his lord and savior and surrender to his will and to his heart if you're not willing to do it god's way don't expect god's results you got you're like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand according to john you cannot know god and blow him off if you really are saved, you will obey the word of God. And listen to me, I'm not talking about a work salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works. You're not saved by how much you obey. You're not saved by how much you do. You're not saved by how much you give. You're saved because of the grace of Jesus and the faith that you've put in him. But a life of faith, a life of love, will result in obedience. If you love him, you'll obey him, the word of God says. So I want you to write these three things down. And that was kind of the intro, but these points go quick. Here's the first thing. Those who know God obey even when it's inconvenient. Listen, if you just obey God when it's convenient, he's not your master, he's not your leader, he's your consultant. He, he, he's better than that. 
And again, I'm just using illustrations that I, that I deal with on, on a real regular basis. Couples living together outside of marriage. And they come to me and they want to get married. And, and, I, and I say, obviously, you want to do this thing right or you wouldn't be coming to a pastor. Yeah, yeah, we want to do it right. We want God's blessing. We want, we want to honor God in this. Then why don't you do it the right way and go and live apart? That's not God's will for your life. If you want, if you want God's blessing, do it God's way. And this is what I hear. Well, well, Pastor, we're not sleeping together. Listen, I was born in the morning, but it wasn't yesterday morning. Well, well, Pastor, we're saving money for the wedding. You know what they're saying? It's more convenient to disobey God. And so be out of convenience. Well, I'm married. I was married before, and I want to make sure this is right. Well, we're going to get married eventually. Well, I love him. What's the big deal? The big deal is God said don't do it. And God's commands are given for our benefit and our protection. And when you know what to do and you don't do it, John says, you're a liar. The truth is not in you because a man who knows God does what he says. When you try to obey God out of just convenience, it's disobedience. Here's the next thing. Those who know God obey him even when it doesn't make sense. Let me illustrate it with the life of Noah. You remember Noah is living, the world's corrupt. God's going to judge it. Noah, I'm going I'm to flood this, this world. What does that mean, God? Well, I'm going to send rain. What does that mean? God? The nearest body of water 500 miles away. The earth was watered from the ground during that time. What do you, what do you mean, God? And here, Noah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build a boat. And not just a boat. I mean, I want you to build this, this, this thing that's two football fields long and six stories high and 50 yards wide. And I want you to get two kinds of every animal and I want you to put them on that ark. Friend, that's an unprecedented task. Can you, you imagine the questions going through Noah's mind? You're sending a flood. I'm going to build a boat. That doesn't make sense. I'm not a skilled carpenter. It will take forever. How am I going to get those animals on board? What's everybody going to think about me and say about me? I'm going to be the laughing stock. But you know what? You know what the Bible says? That Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. But God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You're smarter than I am. And you know what that ark did? It saved Noah and his family from the flood. I, I, when I was studying this, I remember the, uh, Peter in Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 5, somewhere in there. He just fished all night. Peter was not a now. I mean, he, Peter won't catch and fish with a hot dog on the end of a cane pole. Peter knew how to fish. It was his living. And he worked hard all night and caught nothing. Cleaned his nets, put them back on the boat, and Jesus comes along. They're getting ready to go to bed. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? I want to preach to the crowd, the, the, the sea helps my voice echo and so peter says sure they get on the boat they push back after jesus gets done preaching jesus says hey Pete, let's go out a little bit further and let's cast your net one more time i mean think about it. that doesn't make sense i know fishing peter said he didn't say it but i'm sure he was thinking i know i know how to do this but but this is what he said this isn't about but you're god and 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 nevertheless, at your word, whatever you say, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'll do it. He threw his net overboard. He pulled up a catch, couldn't even tug in the shore. 
I remember when, when I first got started in ministry, I was in Outer Banks, North Carolina. I was at a church called Outer Banks Worship Center in Nags Head. One of the most popular restaurants during that time, that's 25 years ago, I don't even know if it's still open, but one of the most popular restaurants during that time was The Wharf. And uh, the guy that owned the place was Randy. Again, I don't even know if he was alive. I don't know if he's alive now. I don't know what's going on. But I'm, you would have to get there 4.30. It opened at 5.30. If you wanted a seat, you had to get there at 4.30. Or you really wouldn't eat that night. The, the, the line wrapped all the way around the building. Parking was always an issue. Place was always full. I mean, the food was great. But, I, you know, there's a lot of places with great food that don't do that good. And I asked Randy, Randy, what, you know, what, why is this business such a success? And he said, when I first started it, you know, it was hard. We weren't making anything, but I made a commitment to God that I wouldn't be open on Sunday. And in my mind, that didn't make sense. Because how do you run a business on the beach that's not open on Sunday? That's one of the most prosperous days. That's what I got to have. But I'm going to, but I just, God spoke into my heart and I'm not going to do it. So I decided I'm going to obey it. And then he said, God told me don't serve alcohol. God spoke that through his heart. And, and, and again, it didn't make sense. I'm at the beach. What, what, what do you drink with lobster legs? Or crab legs, if you can't. <laughs> Lobsters don't have legs, I don't think. <laughs> crab legs. You got to have, have something. Don't do it, Randy. God, it doesn't make sense. You, you know the money I'm leaving on the table because we're not serving alcohol? And then he said, I want you to tithe on the first fruits of everything that comes in that restaurant. This was early on. God, we don't, we're, we're barely making it. If we, I don't even know how we're going to survive, but it doesn't make sense. But I'm going to honor you. During that day, that was the busiest. I, wrote, I watched Randy one day write out a check for $10,000 and give it to missions. And that, that wasn't a rare thing. That was, that was not the exception. That was the rule in his life. Because he had honored God and God had honored him. He said, I'm going to obey you even when it doesn't make sense. That's good. That's obedience. Here's the last thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Those, did I say that one? Here's the last thing. Thank you, Jesus. Those who know God, obey him even if it brings temporary pain. Did you write that down? You got all three of those? The third one, last one. Those who know God, obey him even if it brings temporary pain. And for that, I, I just want to use the life of Jesus to illustrate that point. Jesus, all his life, if it was known as one thing, was characterized by controversy. Said he was a king, but he came to serve. Said his home was heaven, but he hung out with sinners. Performed miracles, but did it on the Sabbath. Spoke in parables, yet spoke with authority. One group loved him, the other one hated him. One group wanted to crown him, the other one wanted to kill him. And on the last few days of his life, one of the, the last days, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says under such anguish and such stress and such turmoil that he's sweating great drops of blood. And you say, why? What, what, what's the strain? What's the stress? What's the problem? Because he's about to go to the cross for our sins, and he knows that. He realizes the pain. He realizes the punishment that's going to be upon him. He realizes the separation from God, and he didn't want to go there. So you say, well, why did he even have to die? Because God, in the very beginning, set up a system, set up a principle that without this shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so in the Old Testament, it would be a bull or a goat. And it would show the seriousness of sin. It would show, I mean, when they cut this thing and they saw the blood, they would be reminded that sin is serious, that, that it separates from a holy God. 
This sacrifice was a means or a way to come to God through faith and obedience. And it ultimately appointed to the, to the sacrifice that Jesus would one day make for all of us. However, the Old Testament sacrifice was temporary. It had to be done all the time. It was also not complete because those Old Testament sacrifices covered sin, but they didn't take away sin. And there was limited access. Only priests could bring a sacrifice. And so Jesus, Jesus came. God sent his son. He came to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to, to reveal God's love and, and to uphold God's justice. And he was in that garden. He was struggling and straining and anxious and stressful because he knew what was before him. But you know what he said? Many of you did. He said, God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it be. Nevertheless, not my will, because I know you, God, and I'm going to obey you, even if it brings temporary pain. Not my will, but thy will be done. Several years ago, my brother and sister-in-law were transitioning from homes and, and neighborhoods, and they were renting an apartment first floor of this apartment complex had all their goods one afternoon they went off as a family their two kids somebody broke in the house and just tore that place up demolished it furniture was ripped beds torn over chests or drawers nothing was taken they didn't take anything they just destroyed the house the detectives came in and they, they determined that it was probably something with drugs and they went to the wrong house they thought they were going somewhere else and went to the wrong house and and later, after they figured out why, they, you know, they do that investigation. And they got in through a back window. That There was a kitchen sink. Uh, my sister-in-law left the door open, the window open. One of them crawled through that back window, went to the front door, opened it up, and let everybody else in. They walked in through a window that wasn't shut. There is a window in your heart. Focus on me for five moments. There's a window in your spirit. There's a window that if it's not shut, it gives the enemy legal access into your lives. The Bible says the enemy's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to ruin you. He wants to hurt you. He wants to destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy your kids. That's the bad news. The good news is God promises divine protection. God says, he that dwells under the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God says the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. The psalmist said, man, you don't have to, you don't have to fear man. You don't have to fear what they might do for you, do to you, because I'm for you, and I, I'm going to protect you and watch over you. That's the promises of God. But when you leave the window open, the enemy can get through it, and he just doesn't want to take a little bit. He wants to go. He, he'll go for the throat. Well, how do I shut the window? Good question. You shut the window by obedience. Obedience is the lock that keeps the enemy at bay in your life. Obedience is what keeps you submitted to the Lordship of Christ and keeps you under His divine protection and, and under the flow of His blessing. Many of the struggles and the issues that we deal with and face a lot of times are nothing less than our lack of obedience to the Word of God. And this is what I want for you. I say it all the time, and I mean it. I'm not, I'm not just 
speak in language. I, I, want, I want all of us. I want our spiritual journey to be successful. I want us to experience God's blessing in His presence. I want our walk with God to be intimate and close. I want us to experience His love and His, and His peace. I want us to walk victorious and overcoming. And if we're going to do that, we have got to settle this issue of obedience. We must obey God in every area. Period. It must be settled in our hearts that there is nothing good outside the realm of God's will. No matter how good it looks or what it might feel like or how much it promises to make you rich or abundant or wise or successful. If it is not God's will, it will eventually lead to intense sorrow and eventual death. Here's here's what I'm hoping. Here's my plea today. We, We must be a people that say, God, you're the boss, not just with my mouth, but with my actions. And what I know is the carnal spirit, the flesh is going to fight. But we've got to resist it. We've got to settle this issue of obedience. If we're determined to obey God regardless of what we think or regardless of what everybody else thinks or regardless of what it might cost us. If we'll learn to, to walk and obey, we will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, the foundation of obedience. And when the struggles and the worries and the cares and the issues come, we'll be strong. We'll be found faithful. Here it is, Malachi 1.6. What this all is about. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm your father, where is the honor due me? And if I'm your master, where is the respect? do my name. Amen, everybody. Bow your heads and your hearts with me, will you?